The U.S. Surgeon General Jerome Adams has some, well, a little bit scary things to say about coronavirus. We're going to cover that. We're going to cover the numbers and a whole lot more today. Thank you for listening in to Weathering Coronavirus, Updates and Hope. This is your host, Kurt Linville. As always, I try to sift through the news so that you don't have to. And I can bring to you the summarized version so that you can have your regular updates of what's going on with the COVID-19 outbreak. First, back to Jerome Adams. In an interview, Jerome Adams, and this is from foxnews.com, Jerome Adams used some somewhat scary words. Uh, He said, this is going to be our Pearl Harbor moment, our 9-11 moment. And he was talking about what's going to be happening primarily this week. Mr. Adams was referring to the idea that things will get worse before they get better again. The number of coronavirus cases, the number of coronavirus deaths, all are expected to continue to increase and to be hopefully coming to a peak in the near future. I've been saying from the beginning of the show that things will get worse before they get better again, but that it's going to be okay. And I think that we can see that illustrated a little bit in the numbers. There are signs that the epidemic is starting to turn the corner. It's way too soon to say that we're winning or that this is nearing any sort of an end, but there are positive signs. From APNews.com, in New York City, the U.S. epicenter of the pandemic, daily deaths dropped slightly, along with intensive care admissions and the number of patients who needed breathing tubes inserted. But New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo warned that it was too early to tell the significance of those numbers. Italy and Spain also got some encouraging news. Italy registered its lowest day-to-day increase in deaths in more than two weeks at 525, said Angelo Borelli, the head of the National Civil Protection Agency. The pace of the infection also seemed to be slowing. Even so, Borelli warned, this good news shouldn't make us drop our guard. Confirmed infections fell in Spain, too, and new deaths declined for the third straight day, dropping to 674. The first time daily deaths have fallen below 800 in the past week. The outlook, however, was bleak in Britain, which reported more than 600 deaths Sunday, surpassing Italy's increase. Italy still has by far the world's highest coronavirus death toll at almost 16,000. So what we're hearing is that the rates of new deaths, the rates of new illnesses seem to be falling off. It doesn't mean that we're not getting a lot more new illnesses and that people aren't still dying, but the rates are slowing down. This is what social distancing was all about. Social distancing, obviously, I think this goes without saying, it curbs the advance of the virus, the spreading of the virus from person to person. CNN.com reports the slowing rate of infection. While the number of active cases continues to rise, the rate of the increase continues to slow. That's all good news. That's what we've been looking for. That's the flattening of the curve that we were talking about. Foxbusiness.com has some other good news. U.S. equity markets soared Monday morning as the spread of COVID-19 cases showed signs of abating in the hardest hit area. The number of new cases over the weekend in New York City, the U.S.'s epicenter for the virus, rose by 30.4% versus last week, down from a 46.1% jump the week prior. That's good news. So, okay, yeah, we're still getting new cases. 
a 30.4% increase, but the week before was a 46.1% increase. So that is uh, really good news. President Trump said at a press conference on Sunday that while there was light at the end of the tunnel, the next two weeks were going to be difficult. COVID-19 has infected nearly 338,000 people in the U.S. and killed almost 10,000, according to the latest figures provided by Johns Hopkins University in medicine. More than 17,500 people have recovered, which is also great news. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was up more than 900 points or over 4% in the opening minutes of trading while the S&P 500 and NASDAQ composite were higher by 3.9% and 3.8% respectively. So the markets are liking the sound of this. It's a little bit humorous to me because things are still bad, but we get a little hint that the bad is advancing less quickly and it's good news. And why not? Let's celebrate everything that we can. Although things are tough in places around the world, you know, send some love to New York and New Jersey. It's still hard. They're getting slightly better. And the social distancing is starting to work. And we're seeing improvements. This is all great news. I want to talk about the numbers today. And of course, the numbers are getting a lot larger. But at the same time, there's some good news in the numbers. So while the total number of confirmed coronavirus cases continues to climb, the rate of increase in number of new cases seems to be slowing. This is the great news and the beginning of the trends that we need to be seeing. The beginning of the trends. It's the tip of the iceberg of improvements that we're going to see in the numbers. Total confirmed cases on the planet this morning stood at 1,290,000. But there are only 948,000 active cases, and that's because people are getting well. So the number of active cases is still below a million. That's kind of cool. Here's some good news. The recovered cases so far, 272,000 people have recovered. These are people that now have the coronavirus COVID-19 antibodies. This means that they have some degree, if not complete immunity to further infection. And of course, the jury is still out. We're trying to find out how much immunity people have who have recovered, but indications are that there is immunity, that that immunity will likely last for months, if not years or even a lifetime. So once you have had this version of COVID-19, Odds are very good you will not have it again. Other good news, 1,780,000 in the United States have been tested. That's a significant number and that's a huge increase. So we're approaching 2 million people that have been tested. Now that's not nearly enough tests, clearly, to really know what's going on. We need to be able to test, well, almost everybody. But at least we can see that a lot of testing has taken place, and that's giving us a lot more information to understand how this virus is doing. Keep in mind, they are still only testing people who qualify for testing. And there are probably various rule sets in various places around the nation for vetting who gets tested and who does not. But it includes such things as, are you symptomatic? Were you exposed to another person who did test positive? And are your symptoms worsening? Are you in one of the groups that's more at risk for the illness? So what does this mean for us? This means that the tests are not in any way a random sampling of US population, nor of the world's population. So it's very difficult to extrapolate such metrics as the percent of the population who has the virus or the percent of cases that are mild, 
actual death rates, etc. These are still complete unknowns. So even while we look at hard numbers, we're not getting the full picture. And it's simply because not everyone has been tested, nor will they be, for that matter. If they could do a random sampling of a population group, a large population group, and see how many people had the virus and the outcomes of the illnesses of the people that had the virus, then we could begin to quantify how deadly the virus is, how contagious the virus is, but we really don't know these things yet. Why do I tell you this? Well, it's still premature to let the numbers scare us. That's the bottom line. So think of the numbers as the person number one was bad enough to get a test. This eliminates the vast majority of potentially positive cases from being tested. What that means is that only the more severe cases are being tested. So the outcomes of those people that are, that are confirmed to have coronavirus are going to be generally worse than the general population. Number two, people with mild cases are not being tested yet. We're still only tracking the more serious cases. We know that somewhere around 80% of the cases are not serious. And that means something like 80% of the cases are not part of these numbers yet. So what does that mean? It means that this illness is much, much, much more survivable than the numbers currently indicate. I'm not trying to tell a different story than we're hearing from the authorities. Please hear me. I'm not trying to tell you a different story. What I'm trying to do is provide perspective that allows you to internally process what's going on with this COVID-19 outbreak. And when we hear the authorities giving us dire warnings, we should take heed. I don't think they're exaggerating, okay? But at the same time, it's easy to misinterpret the information and become more fearful than is necessary. I just heard this morning from a friend of mine who's over 70 years old, and he tested positive. He has underlying health conditions as well, so he's kind of smack dab in the middle of this population that would be susceptible to a, a more dire outcome from this infection. Yet, he is already past having symptoms. Now, all indications are that he's going to be immune for some extended period of time and perhaps even for his life. He was the member of the susceptible population, and that's great news. Now, certainly, this is only one story, but here's the point. The vast majority of COVID-19 cases do have a similar story, and I think we need to keep that in our minds. It's not that people don't get very, very sick and die, but most people don't get very, very sick, and certainly most people don't die. To date, I've known around 15 people personally that seem to have had COVID-19. Several did test positive. Others, like their spouses and the children in the same family, had all the same symptoms but were not tested. All are well. Did you hear me? All are well. For some, the illness was about like having a cold. For some, it was a little bit more toward bronchitis with a rough cough. For some, it was like a mild case of the flu. For none, was it any worse than that.
If you get COVID-19, odds are your experience will be parallel to what I just described. Of course, there are worse cases out there, but they're in the extreme minority. And keep in mind that what I just shared with you is completely anecdotal. I'm not trying to communicate that COVID-19 is not serious. I'm not saying that social distancing is unnecessary. Let me say that again. Social distancing is necessary for several reasons and not just to slow the spread of coronavirus. What I'm sharing is that this anecdotal evidence is the way that the vast majority of coronavirus stories turn out. So here are some takeaways for you. Don't catch it. Don't share it. Follow social distancing. But most importantly, don't live in fear. It is going to be okay. Regretfully, there are a lot of people who have a more tragic story to tell, but they are in the minority. Send your thoughts and love and prayers up for those who have lost loved ones. Care, but keep perspective. It's going to be okay. We really won't know the extent of this epidemic until we have randomly sampled antibody testing across vast populations in many different locations. And the reason I say antibody testing is because once you no longer have symptoms, you don't test positive for being sick because you don't have it anymore, but you will have the antibodies. We need to know how many people actually got sick and got well again that were never reported. That will give us some indication of the true nature of this illness. If you are in locations where the social distancing is not mandatory yet, then do it anyway, voluntarily. Don't do any group meetings. Exercise some wisdom here. The reason that outbreaks happen is because infected people shed the virus for several days prior to having symptoms. So you could be sick and not even know it yet, and you could be hurting other people. So go ahead and practice the social distancing even if you're well. Especially if you're young, don't think that you're invincible. The young people weather this illness very, very well, but don't think that you're invincible because if you catch this, you are spreading the virus to other people. Practice the good social distancing measures to help protect the susceptible populations. And remember, the sooner that we flatten the curve, the sooner we can begin to return to the new normal. And I call it the new normal because I'm not really sure that things are quickly going to be, go back to the old normal. But there will be a new normal, a normalcy that we can all live with. I read a very helpful article over the weekend by Thomas Poyo on Medium.com. It was titled, The Hammer and the Dance. And I kind of like the way that he put this together. The gist was that the hammer is the heavy social distancing that we are experiencing right now in most places across the United States and around the world. The purpose of this hammer is to limit the spread of the illness as much as possible and to buy some time so we can formulate a better response and put together the tools we need to manage this crisis effectively. Also to avoid overwhelming the medical resources of the planet. And I want to mention that a little bit. In all of the epidemic models that I've been looking at, they have on there the number of ICU beds available. And when the number of people needing those beds exceeds the number of beds available, they assume that everyone that needs one of those beds that doesn't get one dies. Those are scary words. But it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? We don't want to overwhelm our medical resources because that's when people who need help can't get it, and that's when the death rates go way, way up. That's what social distancing is about. 
It's about making sure that people that need help get help. But there's another big reason, and I really hadn't thought about this until I read this article. The big reason is that the more that COVID-19 spreads, the more that it mutates. Every time COVID-19 takes on a new host, then it can mutate a certain percentage. And if it mutates enough, then those who have already had the virus will not be immune to the new version of the virus. We don't want a COVID-20. By the way, the 19 is for 2019. A COVID-20 would be a COVID virus that is considered unique in the year 2020. So we don't want a COVID-20 here, people. That's why we want to limit the number of people that catch the illness. It's real easy to think, and I was thinking the same way for a little while, that if we all just got sick and we protected the susceptible populations, we would all get well and we'd be immune and life would go on as normal. But the problem is, if this mutates into a COVID-20, then we have to start all over again. So there were a number of contributors to this scholarly report, including the review of epidemic models that illustrate how we can best accomplish the goals of the hammer. That not only saves lives, but it does provide us a path to a brighter future. Now, the second phase of the article and the second phase of living with coronavirus is called the dance. This is the period in the future when we will be re-entering some sort of the new normal. It's called a dance because we'll not see a hard stop to social distancing right away. It can't happen that way. We will still see restrictions, but they will be eased somewhat, and there's going to be a lot of testing. And if transmission of the disease increases, then the restrictions will have to be reapplied. So there will be a cautious back-and-forth dance as we learn to monitor and control the spread of COVID-19. This is the scenario in which we re-enter the new normal, the normalcy that we're looking forward to. The key to this dance in the epidemic models is the R value, and you may have been hearing about this more in the news this week. Some people call it r naught. some people call it r But the bottom line is the R value is the number of people that catch the virus from each person that has the virus. So in these epidemic models, when they say R, they're talking about how many other people got sick because you did, right? If the R value is less than one, then the number of cases reduces over time. Good news, right? If the R value is greater than one, then the number of cases increases over time. Bad news. So keeping R less than 1 is the goal of the dance. And we're going to hear a lot more about R values in the future. And I'm going to say, hopefully in the very near future, because I'm ready for the dance. I'm ready for some degree of normalcy to come soon and for us to carefully and cautiously re-enter the new normal. It's a little premature for me to be talking that way, obviously. We're still in the hammer phase. We still have to knock this thing down so we don't overwhelm our medical resources. But we can look forward to the day when we're, t- we're all talking about these R values and talking about managing the dance.
So here's a list. The numbers in the media, number one, are making this more frightful than necessary. On an emotional level, recognize this and fight fear with love and peace. That's my advice. It's my recommendation to you. Number two, the reason for the scare, in part, is to convince people to practice the social distancing. The hammer is needed, so be vigilant. This is the safest and the fastest path forward. So when you hear the authorities talking about how serious this is, they're not lying to you, but they're trying to convince you how important it is that we follow the social distancing. Be very patient. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with the medical authorities. Be patient with other people. We don't really know yet how this is going to play out long term. And one of the best ways to not be impatient is to avoid unfounded expectations. If you expect us to all jump into life the way that it was before two or three weeks from now, then you're going to be disappointed. That's not the way this is turning out. So if you avoid having those unfounded expectations and we live each day doing the best we can with this, then I think we will be more patient. Don't expect group events to resume anytime soon. All the indications are that we're not going to have group events back for quite some time. You might as well lower your expectations regarding these events. If it's on your calendar already, it's probably too soon for it to happen. Now, I, this is my opinion. I might be overstating it, but if you set your expectation that way, then you probably are less likely to be disappointed. If the event is on your calendar, then it's probably too soon for the event to actually happen. Plan alternative ways to celebrate life. Why not? So we're not going to be going to the rock concert. We're not going to be all meeting at the coffee house anymore. Not for a long time. We're not going to have birthday parties. We're not going to have weddings. We even can't have large funerals. I'm sorry. It's the way that it's going to be. So plan alternative ways to celebrate life. Remember, humanity is resilient and tenacious, and we will get through this. Have hope. There's no sense pining after the way that things were before. Instead, let's look forward to the new normal. And again, be very patient. Care for others. Love. Practice forgiveness. Patience. And really good self-care. If you are practicing social distancing right now, you are saving lives. We're in this for the long haul. Oh, and I'm going to throw this out there. We probably should have a whole show on this. Matter of fact, I, uh, I might bring in a, an interview so that we can talk with a professional. But now that you're living at home most of the time, beware of your vices. Replace them with healthy and fun alternatives. What I mean is... Don't go for that extra three cups of coffee, you know. Don't drink more coffee than is healthy just because you're at home and it's easy to. Don't drink more alcohol than you did. I know that if you're at home all day, it's tempting to have a beer earlier in the day. If you're home all day, it's tempting to have a little bit more. After all, these are stressful times. Don't do it. Don't overeat or snack all day. Just because you are working close to your own refrigerator doesn't mean that you should change your eating habits, okay? Oh, and what about the new legalized marijuana that we see in several states across America? Guess what? You don't want to be a pothead. <laughs> I say it this way. Pot, it'll rot, 
you if you let it rule you. So don't do it. And sugar, it will kill. Sugar will kill. So don't change your eating habits in a negative way. Instead, make a list of positive and fun things that you can do rather than falling into bad habits. Post it on the fridge or wherever your temptation may draw you. And when you're tempted, choose a positive alternative and then take action right then. So if you're tempted to eat food that you know you shouldn't have because you're working too close to the fridge and you're stressed out and food makes you feel better, then instead, look at the list, choose an alternative, and do it right then. Break the cycle. In addition, call your friends today. Check in on them because they need you. And you know what? You need them too. So get on the phone. If you find this podcast helpful or encouraging, then please share it with your friends. And also, please rate us on Stitcher, rate us on iTunes. That helps us in the search engines. And if you subscribe, you won't miss a show. We don't put out a show every single day, just most days. And it comes out at different times of the day based on news and when we can get it done. So subscribe so you won't miss a show. And we really appreciate you just sharing with your friends. If this show is meaningful to you, then please share the word so that other people can be encouraged as well. Thank you so much for listening. I am Kurt Linville, and Weathering Coronavirus Updates and Hope is produced by Caleb Linville. Until the next episode, be safe out there.